Well, we are looking at the life of David. And I'll just be honest with you. I wish we could leave this part out. But if you think of the life of David, most times when his name comes up, there are one of two things, or maybe both of these things, but at least one of these two things you think about. Either you think about David and Goliath and his great victory, or you think about David and Bathsheba and his great failure. Now, I wish we could leave the failure part out, but I don't know how we can if we're going to look at the life of David. But I want us to spend a moment or two. We're going to read. I'm going to have to read quite a little bit of Scripture. Maybe my preaching won't be as long afterward. But I want to make a little comparison here. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, David has been anointed to be king. And he wants to bring the ark back into the midst of the people. We mentioned a little bit of this the other day. In verse number 12 of 2 Samuel 6, And it was told King David, saying, The Lord had blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. It was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, every one to his house. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. And David said unto Michal, It was before the Lord, which chose me before thy father and before all his house, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord of Israel, therefore will I play before the Lord. And I will yet be more vile than thus, and will be base in mine own sight. And of the maid servants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. Therefore Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child unto the day of her death. Now go with me to Second Samuel 11. Let's read a little bit here. It came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. It came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this the daughter of Bathsheba, or is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. 
She came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness. And she returned unto her house. The woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I'm with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was coming to him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. David said to Uriah, Terry, here today and tomorrow, now I will let thee depart. And so Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at home, or even, he went out to lie in his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he signed Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of that city went out and fought with Joab. And there fell some of the people of the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite died also. Lord, help us in the next few moments to preach the Word of God. Help us, Lord, to be warned. Help us to be reproved, rebuked if necessary, and exhorted. Lord, we need your help in this preaching, but we need your help in our living. So help us more than just in these next few moments. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but every time I read 2 Samuel 11, I say to myself in my heart, don't do it, David. Don't do it. Don't do it. It always turns out the same. I was thinking about this passage of Scripture. David has become the king, and it is David's desire to bring the ark into the presence of the people. And we read about it. I read it in the chapter, in the, the portion earlier. And it's an interesting, it's interesting some things that are said there. The Bible said that every six paces, they stopped and they offered sacrifices. The Bible tells us that David blessed them with gifts. The Bible tells us that when it was finished, they all departed, everyone to his own house. The Bible said that when they went through that process, Michal was up in her house and she looked through the window and she despised David. Now we get to 2 Samuel 11. David is bringing something else in. He's bringing someone into his house that does not belong, bringing her to a place where she should not be. And there are some things that go on 
that are kind of a parallel with what went on in 2 Samuel 11. Because they're going to, David gave them gifts. And here in our chapter in 2 Samuel 11, in chapter 6, he gave them gifts. In chapter 11, he gave gifts to Uriah, the meat, like he did in chapter 6. In chapter 6, everyone departed to their own house when it was finished. In chapter 11, Bathsheba departed to her own house when it was finished. In chapter 6, Michal despised David. But in chapter 11, a little later, Nathan will ask David, Why hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord? In chapter 6, there were sacrifices every little bit along the way. And in chapter 11, David is sacrificing. He's not sacrificing to God, but he is sacrificing some things. When David brought that woman into his house and did what he did, I'm sure he thought he was gaining, but he was not gaining. He was losing. He was sacrificing some things. This time at the end of this passage of Scripture in 2 Samuel 6, there was rejoicing, there was joy, there was praise, there was singing. There'll be none of that in chapter 11. The sacrifices he makes in chapter 11 are completely different than what he made in chapter 6. I want to talk to you about five of those sacrifices that David is making here in this passage. I want to talk to you first of all, I want to say, number one, that when he walked away from the battle, he sacrificed his authority. The Bible tells us in our text in 2 Samuel 11, it was the time when kings go forth to battle. David is the king but he does not go forth to the battle. Here's what the Bible said. At the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. Now think about that little phrase, David sent. So David, is in the, he is the authority in this matter. They're going to go to the battlefield because David said so. But the Bible tells us that a higher authority, apparently God had made this the time of year when kings go forth to battle. But David said, my authority is more important. He sent those men to the battle and he tarried. And when he did that, he sacrificed the authority that God had given him. You know, if we're not in the place, when we're not in the place where God has placed us, when we get out of the will of God, you know what we lose? We lose our spiritual authority. When a preacher is not walking with God, when a pastor is not in the will of God, he'll lose his spiritual authority. His preaching will have no power. His living will have no testimony. He's out of place, out of line. He's lost his authority. It's like a parent who's living an immoral life trying to teach a child to be moral. There is no moral authority and when a pastor gets in the pulpit, the man of God gets in the pulpit and there is sin in his life and he is not where he's supposed to be, an act of omission, when he's not what he's supposed to be, his authority is gone. David has sacrificed his authority. You know, it appears to me that after David sacrifices this authority, suddenly it seems like circumstances seem to take authority over David. It seems like now David has lost his control in his everyday life. He's going to lose control of his children. He's going to lose control of the nation. He's going to lose it all. Why? He gave up that authority when he wasn't where he was supposed to be doing what he was supposed to do. Say, so, well, preacher, I can serve over here. I can do this. No, you better find out where God wants you. 
And you better get where God wants you, and you better stay where God wants you. And I'll tell you this, everybody and his brother's got an opinion about where you ought to serve and what you ought to do, and how you ought to live. I remember when I started out uh, traveling and preaching years ago, I think it's all—it's about 43 years ago now, I started out and I'd get with a preacher, and I was young and I was impressionable, and uh, I'd get with a preacher and say, you know, you really ought to be doing this, or you really ought to be doing that. Or, and I'd listen to them, and I'd think, well, maybe that'd be a good thing. And then I'd go to God, and God would say, I've got you right where I want you. Stay where God has put you. Be busy in the things that God has put on, uh, put in your uh, calendar. Stay with God. Don't sacrifice your authority by getting out of the will of God. David has sacrificed his authority, but he'll make another sacrifice. He will sacrifice his purity. The Bible says this concerning David. The Bible said it came to pass in an evening tide. You know, David never would have been there on the top of his house if he'd been out on the battlefield. Came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. First of all, David put himself in a position to see something he should not have seen. Sometimes in life, you know, especially in the day we live, Sometimes you can't help what you see. You can't drive down the road without seeing a billboard that has something you shouldn't see on it. But David, being out of the will of God and not where he should be at the forefront of his army, David has put himself in a position to see. The Bible says to make no provision for the flesh. And he has put himself in a position to see something. I do not believe, and, and I wouldn't fuss with you about this, but I don't believe from, from what I've studied and what I've read, I don't believe that uh, Bathsheba was some sort of loose woman. I don't believe she was some sort of temptress. Temptress. I don't believe she was after David. I believe she was involved in a ritual cleansing that David would have never seen if he hadn't been on his rooftop at that particular time of the day. If he'd been out on the battle, he never would have seen her, but he saw her. But you say, well, preacher, you just said sometimes you can't help what you see. No, sometimes you can't help what you see, but you can help what you inquire about. And that's what the Bible said. He inquired after her. The Bible said in verse number three, and, and think about this now. Just consider this. From the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. The next phrase said, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. So apparently, he looked long enough to make a judgment. To decide she was beautiful to look upon. And then if that weren't enough, then he inquired after her. He put himself in a position to see something he should not see. You better be careful, preacher. You better be careful, man of God. You better be careful. And then secondly, he looked too long at something that he shouldn't have seen in the first place. Can I ask you a question? I know this is not Jubilee-type preaching, but can I ask you a question, preacher? Is there somebody, somebody you've been paying too much attention to? Is there somebody that's been paying too much attention to you? My wife and I have a sort of an agreement when we're in the services together. And if I get cornered by a woman, and, and you know most of the time it's not anything except she just wants to talk. 
and the man of God has a listening ear. But if she sees me cornered, you know what she does? Whatever she's doing, she drops it and comes over and stands beside me. And if I see her cornered somewhere, I drop what I'm doing. I was... (laughs) I, I hate to get in this because I every time I do, I get myself in trouble. But I was at a church where they were huggers. I mean, they just hugged and hugged and hugged. And so I'm standing in the back. I've been preaching the meeting. And here come all these women I've never seen them before in my life. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they're thinking. And they're grabbing me and hugging me. And I'm trying, to, I'm trying to politely get out of that. And so here's what we did. The next night, I stood in the back and shook hands, and my wife stood in front of me. And when them same women came, I was standing behind my wife. They had to hug her to hug me. Not a one of them hugged her. So, preacher, did you shake hands? Yeah, I reached around from behind her and shook their hand. Now, besides daughters and grandchildren, there's only one person I want hugging me. Amen. And she's the only one I want to hug. David has looked, and after he looked, he inquired, and when he inquired, He sacrificed the pure heart that he should have had. Here's the third thing. When he wanted her, he sacrificed his decency. His decency. I want you to notice what they say. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, now watch this phraseology, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Now that that phrase is interesting to me, is not this. The servants of Joseph used that phrase when they went after, they had taken the cup and put it in Benjamin's sack and they went after it. And when they got there and they pulled that cup out of the sack, they looked at those boys and they said, is not this the cup that our master divineth from? In other words, you've seen this cup before. You know whose cup this is. When, uh, when David went down to the Philistines to hide from Saul, And the lords of the Philistines got nervous about having David around. They went to the king and they said, Is not this David? Is not this David of whom they sang one to another in dances saying, Saul slew his thousands and David his ten thousands? They said, You know who this is. You're familiar with this. When they look at David and say, Is not this Bathsheba? What they're saying is, You know this girl. You know who this is. Well, who is she? She is the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. She is the granddaughter of Ahithophel, who was David's friend and counselor. So it's quite likely as a little girl, this little girl Bathsheba, when she was little, probably played in the palace. David has most likely known her since she was a child. 
And they look at David and say, you know who this is. Is not this Bathsheba? You know her, David. And I want to say, David, is not this the girl who grew up playing in your court? Is not this the granddaughter of your friend? Is not this the daughter of one of your mighty men? Is not this the wife of Uriah, one of your mighty men? David, what are you thinking? No decent man will do what you're thinking. And I want to say, David, don't let her in. Don't bring her in. Stop, David. You should have stopped long ago, but at least now, stop. But you know, once you start giving things up, to get something else. It's hard to stop. Are you not the king? Are you not a prophet? Are you not a husband? Are you not a friend? Are you not the man after God's own heart, David? No, stop. Don't bring her in there. Stop. When he was with her, He sacrificed his testimony. He sacrificed his testimony with his friend, Joab. Now, Joab was not the best friend a man could have. He wasn't the best kind of man to have hanging around. But he was at least, in a measure, serviceable to David. But you know, everybody's sooner then later is going to know about what happened to Bathsheba. God said, I'm going to, you did it in private. I'm going to do it on the housetop. I'm going to show it on the housetop. So everybody would know about that. But I wonder how many knew about that letter. That letter that David wrote, the death sentence to Uriah. And he gave it to Uriah and had Uriah deliver it to Joab. I don't know if anybody else read the letter, but Joab had the letter. And Joab is a man who lives for himself first. You find it, you find it. He was, a, he was a great warrior, but he's not listed in the list of David's mighty men. He lived for himself. And if you if you notice that Joab always seems to get a pass when he does wrong, David never seems to hold him to task. I wonder if it had something to do with that letter. Nobody else knew, but Joab knew. Of course, Nathan knew because God told him. But Joab knew. He lost his testimony with his friend. He lost his testimony with his family. And he lost his testimony with his foes. Nathan said, by this thou hast given great occasion unto the enemies of, the God, of God to blaspheme. You know, that same crowd that one time said to the king of, of Gath and to the Philistines that one time said, is not this David that slew Goliath? You know what they'll say now? Is not this David that holier-than-thou guy? Is not this David who talked about God and loving God and all of that and the God of Israel? And now look at him. Great occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme. I was sitting at a table one day. We were eating lunch and 
And the preacher, a fellow that was with me, he brought up, he brought up somebody's name. And before anybody else could say anything at the table, the old man of God that was at the table, at the table took his hand and went, He's dragging the name of Jesus through the mud. That was the end of the conversation. David has dragged the name of God through the mud. I wish it weren't so. That's what Nathan said. They will associate the God of David with David's actions. Just like they will associate our God with our actions. And then when he waited to repent, he sacrificed his family. Whoso confesseth his sin and forsaketh, or whoso covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. David went nine months at least. David went through that time, and he'll say this, the hand of the Lord was heavy upon me. Knowing that he'd done wrong, knowing that he'd sinned, but not owning up, not getting right. He didn't get right until one day Nathan came, put his finger in his face and said, Thou art the man. And David said, I've sinned. We already heard the preacher said it. It's one of David's greatest, it's one of his greatest characteristics, his repenting. He was a good repenter, except he waited too long. And so now Nathan said, the Lord hath put thy sin away. How be it? And he tells him the baby will die, and then he tells him the sword shall never depart from his house. I want you to think about David. I'm 67 years old. I don't ever want to quit preaching. I, I, don't, I don't ever want to retire from the ministry. But I tell you what I would like to do. I'd like to slow down sometime. I'd like to slow down sometime and get out on the, on the deck in front of the house and sit in my rocking chair and play with my grandkids. That's what I'd like to do. I'm nearly retired right here, right now, because the grandkids are here. I'm not much good for anything. But it's what you think about. In, in my old age, I'm going to look for peacefulness and quiet and enjoy my family. David will have no peacefulness. David will have no quietness. David will have lust and lies and deceit and murder. And rebellion. And it will be because he invited it in. Don't do it, David. Hey, preacher man, it's not worth it. Sir, it's not worth it. Husband, it's not worth it. It will cost you more than it's worth. What a sad picture. Of David mourning over people in his family. What a sad circumstance. He has sacrificed them by his wickedness and his ungodliness. 
There's not a question. There, there's not a question. Sometime you look at a, a son, a daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter, and you question, you'd say, I don't know how that could happen, but there's not a question with David. Am I right? Not a question. David is reaping what he sowed. Nathan said so. He has sacrificed his family. Listen to me. I wish, I wish tonight I'd just preach on anything, anything but this. I wish when we would tell the story of David, none of this would have ever happened, or maybe we just wouldn't have to bring it up. But God wants us to be warned. He wants me to be warned. He wants you to be warned. He wants us to know there's always a cost for sin. Don't, hey, preacher, don't bring her in there. Hey, lady, don't let him in. Don't open the door. Don't look. Don't inquire. Don't think. Don't bring it in. It will not be worth what it costs. It will not be a gain. It will be a loss. Young man, don't let her in. Grandpa, don't let her in. Don't let her in. Don't let her in on the Internet. Don't let her in on the DVD. Don't let her in from the congregation. Don't let her in. Don't bring her in. Stop, David, stop. Don't bring her in. It won't be worth what it costs. It will not be worth it. And you know, maybe if somewhere along in those sacrifices, David had come to his senses and said, I'm not going any further with this. I looked, I shouldn't have. I inquired, I shouldn't have. I'm not going any further. I'm stopping. Don't you think there would have been mercy from the Lord? But David went too far. And yes, there'll be forgiveness. Yes, God will not forget David. God will even use David. But all along the way, there is that remembrance, that bad testimony. Probably you and I, because we love David so, we like to think about David and Goliath. But there's a world that doesn't love David, and when you bring up David's name, they'll think David and Bathsheba. Don't bring her in. Don't bring her in. Even if she's at the door, put her out. You listen, you say, preacher, I start. Then stop and put her out. Don't bring her in. Ask God to help you. Don't bring her in there.